Welcome to Innovative Legal Leadership, the podcast where you'll hear from the world's most innovative general counsel and their leadership teams for their insights into the running of a Fortune 500 in-house legal department. The challenges, the wins, the roadblocks, the journey to date, and most importantly, what lies ahead. Let's get into the show. Hello, listeners. In today's episode, and it's a special one, I'm speaking with Olga Mack. Um, Olga is currently the CEO and Chairwoman of Parley Pro, a legal tech and contract lifecycle management platform. What can I say about this episode other than what a story and what a personality Olga is? Um, she takes us from emigrating uh, from the Ukraine when she was only 11 years old, coming to the US, not being able to speak English and for many years not having a voice. And she takes us through her journey right through to qualifying law, becoming a general counsel. The thought leader she is is today, co-author on a on a range of topics uh, to her current position as a as a CEO uh, of a legal tech company. It's an absolutely uh, heart lifting um, story. It really is. I've got so many favourites out of this episode, so I'm not going to spoil the fun. I will call out one favourite though. Uh, and it's the way that Olga talks about law being a superpower. Um, I just love her enthusiasm and her perspective, and I'm sure you will too. So in the usual fashion, sit back, chillax, and enjoy the episode. Olga Mack, welcome to the show. I'm super excited to have you on board. Jim, it's fantastic to be here. Yeah, yeah no, it's, um, now, Olga, what I'm going to do... It's what I usually do. I do a little bit of a review of a career. I've made some notes here for myself as to what Olga Mack has achieved. <laughs> I have to say, going through those notes, I feel like an underachiever, but that's okay. So you're currently the CEO and chairwoman of Parley Pro, a legal tech company, a CLM platform, and we'll do, do a bit of a deeper dive in that. You yourself have been a podcast host for six years, so I've just made six months so you've got a you've got a few years on me there. Olga, you've got a thought leader, you've written for Business Expert Press, Bloomberg Law, Newsweek, Venture Beat Above the Law. You're a co-author and published books around networked, fundamentals or smart contract security, blockchain, and a whole host of others. And you're also a lecturer at UC Berkeley School of Law. Is there anything that you haven't done, Olga? Things you know, but you know, I you know, I haven't you know, I hiked the mountain Kilimanjaro. Uh, jumping oh. off plane is not quite my thing. I'm not gonna be doing that. Um, so can I, can I just call out those two things? I did do Kilimanjaro a few years ago when my boy was 13, so that's a call out. And I've only jumped out of a plane once. But um, see, tell- who is feeling <laughs> as an underachiever now? I actually that, that- did. I, I gave you those freebies. I I I, I researched you. <laughs> okay, fantastic. So Remember, tell me- you're dealing with a lawyer. <laughs> yeah. You've got a clear interest in law and legal technology. I mean, you've spent some time in a law firm and in-house counsel. Tell us about how that interest began and the, a little bit about the Olga Mac journey and story. Yeah, today I'm building the future of law, the future of contracts, and uh, it's been exciting. Uh, Parley Pro is a, a easy-to-use, highly collaborative, data-driven, modular contract lifecycle management platform. Right. We do exactly what you would expect the CLM to do from request to generation to negotiation to signature to post-signature management. We do it in a way that is that includes simultaneous collaboration, 
gives you quite a lot of data and gives you ability to be even a better ninja lawyer that you could be otherwise. Yep. Um, yeah. And we're serving predominantly in-house legal community, corporate legal, uh, which, you know, I used to be a member of very recently myself and was a very, very happy general counsel and in-house lawyer. Prior to being invited to step into the CEO role, which I, I am, I'm blessed to be in the position to, to be invited and considered. And actually, I never thought I, I would, I would lead a tech company. And when I was first asked, I, I was sort of so baffled. I said, probably not for me. <laughs> That's interesting. Uh, the investors and the founders have persisted and convinced me that it is. And I'm really grateful that they have. But it all began when I immigrated to the United States. My parents are engineers. And um, I saw how technology in Silicon Valley changed the trajectory of my life, the life of my family, and the life of my community. And to my parents' disappointment, I didn't become a lawyer. I mean, I didn't become an engineer, an engineer. Yep. but I did become a lawyer because I felt that I really care about the impact of technology in our lives and, and law is, is, is a place to be. So I am a, what you would describe a tech lawyer by design. And what that meant was that I was studying intellectual property, security, and privacy before those things were cool. I was a litigator at Wilson Santini initially. And frankly, I actually never, I, you know, I, I, I went on this sort of traditional path and I imagined that I would be a partner at a law firm. And to my surprise, you know, you know, I loved the learning, the reading, the writing, the arguing. But it was pretty apparent that law firm was not my jam. Yeah. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> what was it? I mean, you're thinking early, I'm going to be a partner because that's the natural progression. You're a successful lawyer. You'll get up to a senior associate position partner. So at what points are you starting to think, hmm, maybe this is not for me. It's not delivering what I'm looking for. And, and, and what are those yeah. uh, those goals that are missing for you? Wilson Sonsini had a privilege to serve and still does Basically, yep. who is who of tech companies? Yep. Basically, everyone down you drive on 101 from San Francisco to San Jose. So, yep. and I, as a young associate who was on many of these iconic cases, including like Facebook cases, yep. uh, for example, the various disputes among founders, I was on that case yep. and various others. I had an opportunity to meet lawyers in house. And who were not just on the cutting edge of technology and law, but sort of social issues, advising the company, what is the right thing to do, how they should think about the world differently. And their job was just seemed so impactful and exciting. They really, they, they were not, you know, they were not sort of front and center of the news. Nobody knew that they were doing it, but they were so highly influential. And, yep. and, and had an opportunity to shape the world and yet no one could see it. And I just found that exciting, that ability to shape the direction of the world and the impact uh, at the global scale. And, you know, it was well beyond sort of reading, writing and arguing. Yep. And I, I, I found that super exciting. Yep. And and so let's say a few years into your career, you're experiencing what or getting a taste of what it might be like on the other side, in-house, in-house in a tech company and having the kind of impact that you're talking about. So what do you do next in your career? Yeah, next in my career, I talked to folks in, in, in law firm and I said, look, I and there may be other things. Yeah. And they said, well, 
there may be more to law than what you experience as a litigation associate. So Wilson Sun City, I was lucky enough to, you know, um, they allowed me to go be a deputized district attorney in San Francisco under Kamala. Uh, and, and when she was the DA in San Francisco. And so I had an opportunity to try over 30 cases and they really wanted to give me uh, that experience of being in the courtroom every day, doing an arraignments, thinking on my feet, arguing motions, and then actually having trial experiences. Now, they were not trials of the century. Yep. You know, much of it was, you know, petty theft and DUI, but, you know, you have to prepare for them, you know, uh, and for me as a young lawyer, you know, serving, I grew up in San Francisco, serving the San Francisco community under this very inspiring leader was really cool, but it was that part of shaping the world was kind of missing. Was for still me. missing. Right. Was still missing. Yep. <laughs> and so I, I ultimately realized that I was really grateful for the experiences of Wilson Santini with tech companies. I was very grateful for the opportunity to have meaningful trial experience as a young lawyer. But ultimately, I, I ended up going to Visa Inc., which is a, a big, a big company that most people have heard of. And I was the only lawyer for debit processing services. I, I, I call it a mini general counsel role um, on a global scale at a much larger conglomerate. And debit yep. processing services is a relatively small part of revenue at Visa. So um, it was really exciting to, to be the one, the only, and, and global, again, as a young lawyer. So I was very fortunate that I was at a big company that was well-known recognized brand with a lot of resources, yet I was entrusted to do quite exciting things. And I, I was able to have that impact. And that was very satisfying. And tell me, how did the world within a law firm prepare you for that experience? What on reflection, is there something that you learned about yourself, for example, that you weren't ready for, that that, that law firm experience hadn't prepared you as you start to transition to, to, to in-house? Because you, of course, spent some time at, v, at Visa. I know you spent some time at, at Zoosk to an online dating service, as well as the GC at Clearside. So I'd love to hear about how well-prepared you thought you were and then what you're learning and learning about yourself as you're undertaking those roles and how you're growing, I suppose. Yeah, at, at the law firm, because we were very much on the cutting edge of IP law, I I was always researching something that has no answer. <laughs> yep. And making decisions that are mission critical for the case, for the company, for the humans in the company under this high degree of uncertainty yep. and getting comfortable with that degree of uncertainty yep. and thinking in bets and, and, and taking risks. For me, that was something that I was doing quite early to the point that I was basically, by the time I was sort of done with Wilson Francini, I was joking that I'm a risk-preferring lawyer. I am. Yep. I actually love risk. I think risk is where the opportunities are and our jobs is to flirt and tangle with risks in a way that allows our customers to, 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 to really get things in life that they didn't think were possible. So that's really interesting because we've talked on this podcast before about the ability to make decisions on imperfect information. But some of the past themes has been that the law firm experience hasn't necessarily allowed that or created that kind of skill set. And that's been developed more so when you actually go in in-house and you're forced with that the, the need 
to make those decisions on imperfect information rather than perhaps just dis, uh, disseminate advice if you might if, if you're on the law firm side but your experience sounds like it's a little bit different you got comfortable with making decisions or making calls on imperfect information. Absolutely. I think when you advise tech companies, I think you have to because the law, the society have not evolved in the same rate in any discipline. And and so you are, by definition, looking at at law that pre-exists technology And you yep. are extrapolating how that applies to this. I don't know. Maybe situation is not entirely minimal, but it definitely has new nuances, and you have to think through that. And there's a a lot of unknown, and there's unknown that you're not aware of. And depending on on the technology, there may be a regulatory landscape and various other implications. So I absolutely. I mean, having said that, uh, my flirtation with risk actually increased over time you know looking yep. back in my career at law firm i think I, I i had more uncertainty than most people in their law firm practice and when i went to in-house at visa inc i think it increased because I, you know i think that happens when you go in-house by definition yep. but when i ran away with a startup circus <laughs> that's when it really kind of jazzes up and the startups that i've joined have been progressively smaller and smaller and younger stage and yes. so, so I would say I have had during my career this increased, you know, appetite for risk. And so, uh, for me, it's it's very much an acquired taste. Yeah. And how has that kind of how's that developed? You say as you've joined the kind of smaller and smaller startups, is it really about just decision making and being comfortable with decision making with whatever information is available, understanding what what's come before what. The, 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 I suppose the historical context, and then, as you say, extrapolating, sorry, extrapolating that out into business strategies. That is that a little bit about. Is that uh, does that sound like a fair summary? Of I think own? that's part of it. Part of yep. it is also thinking about where you think the world is going, and yep. where do you think it should be going, and and doing the right thing. I think most people go to law school because they have a very strong conception of what is the right thing, what the should is. Yeah. I certainly have that. I have a very strong conception of justice and what it means to be in a beautiful world. So you have that ability to do that. I think there's also an underestimated factor of personalities and humans you meet along the way. They're kind of who they are, what they believe in, and the values they have, right? Very much influence this this journey and the choices you end up making. So yeah. to some extent, it's, it's, a, it's a study of increased risk. To another extent, it's a study of human condition of uh, how they behave when they put in different situations. And you truly discover what people are made of when they are under pressure. And so yeah. it's, it's <laughs> no, you are. And, and you make, you know, lasting friendships along the way. And, and, and I think that's really in the end, that ability to shape the world, discover yourself, discover your companions is, 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 is very satisfying. And, 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 and I think the reason I have a craving of, for more risk is, is because I think that with every experience, I can go in even deeper yep. and, 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 and find myself and find others and have even greater impact. Well, well I can't resist the temptation. I mean, you, you flirted with what the world should be like and what it should look like. So 
take me down that path a little bit, Olga. What in the Olga view of the world? What, what should we? What should it look like? Certainly in your space, what, what, what are those kind of high-level goals and ambitions in having an impact that you're, you're hoping to achieve? Yeah. Look, I, I was born in a very industrial, unknown city in Ukraine. Yep. My parents are, are you know, very educated, middle-class family that you know, had its fair struggles in Ukraine. Yep. Yep. And it wasn't entirely clear if Olga would be able to go to college and let alone become an attorney, let alone have an impact and even have this conversation with you, Jim. You know, I don't think my parents, you know, it is a well-known fact that you kind of have to buy your way into college in, in where I'm from. And I, you know, I don't know what things would have been because I haven't lived that life. But there is yeah. a really high degree of, of likelihood that I would not be able to even go to college. And I was you know, pursuing kind of more professional career. And I was pretty clear about early on, kind of mitigating my options. This one event of immigrating to United States and luckily immigrating in the heart of Silicon Valley. Yep. Uh, and because of technology, I uh, gave me opportunity to, to go to, you know, one of the best schools in the nations, yep. uh, work for one of the best law firms in the world you know, work for Visa Inc., the Fortune 500 company, and now be the CEO of a legal tech company. Like that would not be possible where I'm from. And I think that's something I would like everyone in the world to have. And and that's yeah. ultimately like where you ask me, what is the dream? I, to me, that it is because, you know, I think it would be a loss for me and maybe even to, you know, world at large if, you know, Olga did not have opportunities like she had. Yep. And I think we as a society lose people who could change the world, who could have impact. And I think technology really allows, and you can kind of see how in pandemic, you know, the digital transformation includes people in conversations, include, makes them more efficient, makes them more impactful, allows them to have a voice and, and, and ultimately change their circumstances. Yep. And as someone who could have had a very different life, and I'm very well aware that how lucky I am in many ways, you know, though I also work very hard as well, you know, I, I, I would love everyone to have that. Uh, not only for them, but also I think it's a loss of talent for all of us when yeah. some of us do not have opportunities. Uh, Olga, can I ask how old were you when you immigrated to the U.S.? I was 12. You were 12 years old. And, you know, those circumstances, whatever they were, that led to the ability for your family to immigrate and the opportunity. I mean, I love just listening to, you know, the impact obviously that's had the, in a sense, the older that it has created, which may never have surfaced, <laughs> but there must be hundreds, thousands, millions of those opportunities out there, which might never surface. <laughs> and whatever being able to create the you know that ability to surface those opportunities that you know whatever you can do in the world and I don't have an answer there and to to essentially create stories like yours I mean it's just so impactful technology is going to be part of it I've got no doubt about that you know just contributing to helping move that needle has got to be it, it impacts on lives just as clearly it's impacted on your life yeah yeah I mean again technology and law what is the right thing to do very much are yeah. a happy couple. 
And yep. those of us who um, have a privilege of, of practicing law in this uh, digital transformation world. And, you know, I think the definition of... And again, that's another theme I've certainly heard a lot of just on this podcast about the skill sets that uh, my guests had developed in their early years and then being able to basically broaden out those skill sets, whether it's you were a litigator, whatever kind of attorney you were, it just seems like it is a fantastic platform to be you know, a really impactful GC or, you know, my last couple of interviews been in relation to, you know, founders of legal tech companies. So personally. And sometimes very... both. <laughs> yeah, yep. and sometimes both. That, that, that's right. So I've got a whole bunch of other questions, but I'll, I'll try to focus here. So perhaps key learnings about yourself at the point that you took on or decided to take on your most recent role as the CEO of Parley Pro, okay? Because you, you mentioned before, you weren't sure, you know, you were being chased down for the role. Was, t- tell me about what, why you decided that was something you tr- you'd give a try to. And, and also, what is it that you think you'd learned about yourself up until that point that made you say, yeah, I'm going to give this a try? So, the reason I had reservations is that everyone I knew who exited law did it because they didn't like law. <laughs> right. Okay. They, they actually, and usually when you, majority of folks who exit law do that in the first three to five years of their practice. And usually because law was not a fit to begin right. with. <laughs> yeah. Yep. That's interesting. Yep. And that was not true for me. I actually really like be, being, you know, I, 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 it's not true that I loved every job equally. Yeah, of course. But it is true that I really enjoyed being the general counsel. I really enjoyed creating my legal dream, building organization around it and serving my clients and really kind of shaping and impacting the world. And that was very satisfying to me. And so that was the reason why, you know, you know, remember I left law after 15 years of practice after I've become the general counsel. You don't see a lot of people do that. Um, And so that was my hesitation. Part of it was, yes, a big opportunity cost. And yes, I loved being the general counsel. And so it's easy to say I am leaving when you're unhappy. But when you are happy and you're looking at this big jump, you sort of wonder why. (laughs) And so I I definitely, that for me, that was a very intentional choice. And I've come to realize two things, that while I very much love, love practicing law and being the general counsel, I've realized that I had a mistress on the side and that mistress on the side was the future of law. I like that. Like and that. and I was spending every night and weekend writing my articles about the law and interviewing folks who are, you know, building and advising company. I was on the advisory board and I realized that I had more than one thing that I liked and that I never thought of my passion for the future of law as something that I would be paid for. It, it was more yep. of a hobby. Yep. And and so that that leap for me to understand that you know, I could be paid for more than just telling you what to do legally speaking. That actually was not that obvious to me because, you know, that's not how most of us are trained. And, um, and, and, and again, I was a mistress on the side and I just enjoyed it every night and weekend. Yep. <laughs> and so, and so that, that was, that, that, that took me a little while. I think the, the gestalt moment for me was I sort of realized that I've written so much about it that maybe I should stop talking about it and I should just go ahead do and do something. Go. 
(laughs) you know, because like talking is cheap. Like maybe you should go actually do the thing. And that realization, you know, was very powerful for me. And so when I kind of realized that, that, you know, I, there are many ways to be a legal executive. You can be a legal executive without being called a general counsel or VP of legal or head of legal or CLO or even partner. There are many ways to, to have impact and to be a legal executive, including being the CEO, including being a CMO, including being VP of strategy yeah. and many other things, depending on the circumstances and the product and customers you serve. Um, you know, I think I sort of lured myself <laughs> into, into a different framework. It only took me six months. <laughs> Yep. Yep. <laughs> to, 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 to get there logically. And now that I've been building the future of law, I have to say, I've never had so much fun. I should have done it sooner. <laughs> yep. That, that's always a good sign that you've made the right <laughs> right decision that I should have made sooner feeling. Yeah. It's, it's funny. People sometimes ask me like, Olga, how do you become a CEO of a tech company based on your experiences? And I'm telling them that my experiences were not efficient way to get there. I took a yep. very scenic route. If yep. that's your goal, I don't think I'm a good study case. <laughs> yep, yep. And, and, and what have you learned, or what myths have you unraveled in those in the first, in the early part of the journey now, as the CEO of a legal tech company? What is different to what you thought was going to be the case? I, I, I'd love to get your your sense uh, of how the first, you know, how that early journey is looking for you, and, and what, how is it different from what you might have thought? Yeah, I, I think, you know, being on the business of law, on the, on the legal tax side, I think I appreciate many more things <laughs> that were a mystery to me before. Yeah. I now understand why some CEOs ignored my advice. <laughs> yep. um, I completely understand why sometimes when I was talking to my CEO, I knew that I was just another blah blah blah. <laughs> well, let's let's do a bit of a deeper dive in that because that's some really interesting, and I'd love the audience to understand how when you're in, because most of the audience is you know, going to be either at a law firm or in-house counsel, and you know we're all proud of our voice and we're all assuming it gets heard. Now you're in the position of a CEO and you're saying it off. Sometimes it doesn't get heard. So tell us why. What? What? Yeah. Yeah, because you know. Um, Sometimes the most important problem is not even close to being legal. Bigger problem, uh, yeah. Uh, and and sometimes risk is 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 really not the, the biggest risk. Sometimes is not close the deal. Yeah. And and you know it's kind of amazing. You know I that's why, one of the reasons why I I no longer give myself legal advice. Speaking you know in my company because I no longer see risk the same way I saw it as the general counsel. Uh, oh. When I was wearing a general counsel hat, I saw risk everywhere. Um, oh, I, everywhere I, I, I looked, it was I love, I love that insight. I no longer see risk the way I saw it as a general counsel. And I that think, I, and I think, I'm, I think yeah. I'm a risk-preferring lawyer. You know, um, it's just I, I think once you account to the board on revenue, and and once you talk to your customers who have their needs served, risk has different meaning. <laughs> and that doesn't mean that lawyers are wrong. Yep. You know, it just means this thing that they tell you in law school, 
You should yeah. not be your own lawyer. That's what it means. It means yeah. that when Olga needs legal advice, she should get professional help, <laughs> yeah. right? And so that that's what it means. So I, uh, you know, I even in, in my fairly early stage startup, I, I I do not serve a function of a lawyer because yeah. I, you know, uh, have different job and different pressure and and see the job differently. I now also understand that sometimes. I did not speak the language of business, even though I very intentionally tried and, yep. and worked very hard to be fluent. And I think have achieved some things. Um, yep. I, I, I think that lawyers have a, a different perspective, very important perspective, but very, very different very perspective. Different. So, so, so that's to me that, you know, I now understand because some people sometimes have more of my attention than others. Yeah. <laughs> And so if you were to give advice now to, to the GCs out there or to the lawyers in law firms out there that are advising the CEO or the board, what's the advice that you would now give, you know, having now received that advice and have got a different lens on it as a CEO rather than as a, as a GC? What's the... I've been fortunate enough to work with some of the very enlightened executives in, as a CEO. And... And some of the more enlightened ones very explicitly ask me this question. They say, what can I do today to be impactful or to be helpful? What can I do for, for you, your business yep. to meet your objective? And it, you know, it's, it seems kind of obvious. And to some extent, even it, it, it seems a little, you know, kind of like, you, you know, like I, I would, I might have before had the reservation asking that question because it seems like I'm sort of, trying to befriend you or something yep. like yeah it, it seems like i'm trying too hard but honestly it's actually creates yeah. transparency and it gives me an opportunity thank you for asking me what my priorities are my biggest problem today is x and it would be really helpful if you help me solve it and this is where you can really make a big difference and articulating that in the open dialogue on my executive team is 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 is, is just really helpful for me and i i actually wish i asked that question more oh i love that question <laughs> olga i absolutely love that question how can you help me this is what's on my mind right now and it's the other thing about it is typically when the ceos are not thinking in terms of what is my legal problem today okay yeah. what they're looking to do is solve a whole array of problems and what they're after i expect is judgment and we've talked about that on the podcast before, that sometimes what our, what my guests have learned over time, that what the CEO and the board and the executive have really valued is not, is not the GC's legal mouse, it's their experience and judgment. And so that being, and so, I mean, and that kind of, to me, that dovetails beautifully in what you said. So when the CEO is saying, here is the problem I've got and here's, here's the kind of help I think I need, they're not framing it as a legal problem. They're framing it as a business problem. And typically, it's the judgment, the experience that they're looking to looking to receive assistance with. And, and that's, what they're, that's what's going to benefit them the most. I, I think you're right. I think it's judgment. I think it's experience. But also, a very important third thing. A very important th third thing mm -hmm. is industry. Yeah. Industry. And, and this is where, you know, I... Uh, if, if, you know, that's one of the things that you, when you talk to legal executives, you know, when they, you know, they, they seek to have more influence or they seek to grow within their organization. And I really think that double clicking on the industry 
Yeah. That what allows any executive, whether it's a CMO or CRO or CLO, doesn't matter. That industry experience, and by that industry, I mean knowledge of how things have been done, humans who who make the world go round, yeah. and tendencies of your customer. That what really allows some executive, independent of whatever their background, to transcend and actually have influence and have opportunity to serve on, say, corporate boards uh, and really, truly grow. I think it's the judgment experience and industry. Um, And and I think that that there is a lot of value in really knowing an industry well. I love that. Uh, Let's do a bit of projecting out in the future. What are you most excited about, trends, innovation, particularly in legal, that you see or that you think you see over the horizon? What are you most excited about? Oh, I'm kind of excited about a lot of things. Um, you know, I when I went to law school, someone, someone a dean, one of the deans, joked that law is, is, is like a thousand-year-old path and you have to follow it. And I sort of pulled him aside and I said... You know, I'm inherently not a follower. <laughs> yeah. I'm, just, I'm just not. I will try, but I'm not. What if I go left or right? And he was like, he was sort of laughed very hard and he said, you're on your own. Um, <laughs> but I think those like sideways on your own are very exciting and technology really allows you to do this. You know, I, I think initially this, you know, bigger, faster, cheaper, the, you know, the efficiency part, yep. you know, I definitely, you know, and we see it today. It's, it's, those things are definitely exciting. And I think that's why people kind of, that's an easy way to be an early adopter. That's how you make sort of an initial argument. And I'm, I'm really excited about that. But I'm ultimately what, um, what I'm really excited about is for us as, as, as people, as companies, as society, change our relationship with law. (laughs) We have a very dysfunctional, relationship with law we have accepted that law could be not of service (laughs) we have accepted that law could be obscure could be unknown and really i sometimes joke that lady justice has become a snob (laughs) and we are cool with that and I think we need to stop and question that. There is, we have enough technology that when you cross a state line in the United States, there should be an app that tells you what different laws from DUI to taxes apply to you. Yeah. And I think that should be transparent and visible and not only accessible to those who have access to money and power. And, you know, likewise, in the enterprise, Contracts affect all kinds of things. Most people don't even know that things they do are governed by contracts or any, or laws. They've accepted this reality. Even if they know that the contract is there, they don't understand that it's Greek to them. And it, they're cool with that. <laughs> yep. You know, I think we, we really ha- need to hold law to a much higher standard of service. I, I ultimately think that what law does, that's in the end what makes justice, you know, blind and fair. And, and that's what I hope and I think where we're going is that our relationship with law will be much more functional, much more transparent, 
much more predictable and ultimately much more of service. And do you think, I'm thinking about the players in law, I'm wondering sometimes if we're our own worst enemy, are the players in law too hesitant in relation to legal technology and innovation? Do they need to be doing more? Are there some blockers there, you see, Olga, that you think... (laughs) the roadblocks that that need to be removed or do we have to wait for the next generation to work their way through what 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 do you think no no no. i understand the question the arch of justice is bending the right way but will it happen (laughs) in my lifetime that's the question no that's That's a real question question. look i mean there are black swan events COVID is one of them that really help right because they 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 force they take create limitations we're forced to be creative they kind of reframe, we start questioning whether, do we have to all get up at six o'clock in the morning to be at our desk at nine, stay in traffic yep. for two hours? I think yep. we're all now sort of questioning that premise, yep. you know, and it took this unusual, catastrophic, uh, traumatic event to get there, right? You know, look, again, we, we are... We the justice is trending the right way. We can be more intentional in questioning status quo and uh, thinking how we, our work product, can be more of service. Yep. Um, you know, and I think that's you know, I think that's that's not a, a legal paradigm to be of service. That's that's a leadership paradigm. John. And we as lawyers have had a privilege of legal education. And I feel that it is a privilege because I know for a fact that if I stayed in my town in Ukraine, I would not be a world-class lawyer. And so I think we have a duty of sort of leadership to, to ask questions like this and ask how we can be of service to, to, to our companies, to our communities, to the world at large. And when we do that and we seek better ways to be of service, I think the arch of justice will, will bend at a better rate. (laughs) I do love the way you phrase that, a leadership paradigm. And that's where we're at on it. And would you, is that what you'd communicate, let's say, to the leading GCs and the the law firms of the world, that we are in a leadership, a legal leadership paradigm? I communicate it to every lawyer, but, you know, I, 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 the the in-house lawyers are near and dear to my heart because I was one for over 10 years and I know that job, it's, it's, it's on the one hand, a highly impactful job. On the other hand, could be a very thankless job. I say that every lawyer who is in house is a leader. Yep. I, I have a very good explanation for that. You are either an influencer or a decision maker. Yep. You are there when decisions are made, whether it's a boardroom, whether yep. it's product decisions, you are there and you are either influencing the decisions or you're a decision maker. That independent of your title makes you a leader who have a very, maybe sometimes narrow power, but it is a superpower and you can definitely change the course of history. And I've, I've been in, 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 in many rooms where key decisions at the time that looked small were made. Yeah. And my title, yes, sometimes have been general counsel, sometimes an associate general counsel, sometimes counsel, and sometimes associate counsel. Very junior title. I think with law is a superpower. You're privileged 
to have a privilege to practice law independent of your title. You'll be an influencer or decision maker. And that's a leadership place to be. Oh, there's like a thousand insights. <laughs> and the way that you've described that, including law as a superpower, I think is is super impactful. Uh, so I love the way that you've expressed that. I'm going to round out with some questions I often ask my guests. What's the hardest thing that you've ever done? <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's really hard to think hard things in life. You know, my, my, you know, I, I, I was born in Ukraine. I grew up in Siberia and I have some of my earliest memories. Um, my parents were at work and I, my mom asked me to, you know, and, and, and I used to live in a very cold part of Siberia where there is nine months of darkness and, and there is no summer. And in the middle of this winter, my mom asked me to go to the store to stand in, in bread line. <laughs> and, you know, Siberia is pretty flat and the winds are pretty strong. It's a dangerous place for a six-year-old uh, to hang out right yep. next to Tundra. And, you know, so, you know, I didn't think much of it. I walked my way, struggled through the wind and got some bread and came back home. Yep. <laughs> I think when you live through that and various other turbulence, you know, now I'm talking about political instability. Yep. <laughs> you know, the rest of it seems like a joke. <laughs> It seems pretty easy. It's funny, it's those, those, and cl clearly those early years for you were just formative and, you know, obviously made you who you are, build a level of, no doubt, courage, resistance, resilience. So, and, and give you a new, I, I think, give you a perspective on opportunity and and fortune, as in being fortunate, that a different background or a different upbringing might not have brought you yeah i mean but you know you know i can tell you the one thing that was really hard for me you know i i, I like i like i like humans right I, as i mentioned i one of the reasons i like risk is because i like seeing humans under pressure because they kind of like <laughs> diamonds they become you know better yep. with pressure you yep. know but it was you know i when i immigrated when i was 12 i did not speak english and i and i'm 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 you know, I, I, I'm fairly social. I've had yeah. lots of friends before I immigrated and I went from that to zero. And yeah. languages was not, was, were not easy for me. And I, I learned how to read and write fairly quickly, but I speaking was hard. Yeah. I, I was silent for entire high school college and part of law school that now, now when, when you say you were silent, you mean you just didn't have the confidence. I did not have the confidence, confidence and I was very self-aware of my accent. I didn't like not being fully understood or misunderstood. And, you know, lawyers are people who have perfected reading, writing, and yeah. speaking, which is, you know, elementary school skills, but they are just really good at it. And, you know... I, I, I was very self-aware, so I would abstain from speaking because I didn't want to yeah. make others uncomfortable, myself uncomfortable, or even be dealing with, with that. And so it took me a little, it actually took me a long time to finally speak. And, and when I did, nobody could shut me up. <laughs> <laughs> And and that, that's frankly the reason I think that's the reason 
why I, 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 I had a, such a strong need to express myself and have a voice. Yep. It's, I, I, I know what it's like not to have it. Yeah. And I really value having I, it. I love that. And, and so that, that's one of the reasons, I, as, as I said, I, I had the, the mistress on the side where I was writing and speaking yep. at nights and weekends is because it felt like your voice is your, is is a, is a very important privilege, and I, I now can use it. <laughs> well, and I love that too. Not actually having a voice for whatever reason, experiencing that, and then seeing what the impact presumably you can make when you do have the voice, and how important that is. And I suppose, and you've talked about that too, by you know, when talking about every lawyer is in a leadership position, you're really saying everyone has a voice, and almost like a you have a voice and an obligation. Yeah. Yeah, being a lawyer is a lit, is is a privilege for many reasons, it, yep. including because you're so good at reading, writing, and arguing. Yep. Right? Yep. You, by definition, are a trained leader in 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 that way. Yep. I've got two more questions before I finish up. One: Is there anything that keeps you up at night right now? You know, I sleep quite well. <laughs> Excellent. Good. Good. And uh, I, I I highly recommend sleeping uh, for sanity that's a public service announcement you know <laughs> many of us work a little too hard and sacrifice sleep and i'm certainly have been guilty uh, at a law firm and yep. various jobs uh to burn the midnight oil and you know i i do think that the issues of of health wellness and sanity uh, have been finally normalized and we all talk yep. about it and and again i think technology could help i'd like to see us as we Coming out of pandemic, you know, for a while we've sort of been talking about returning to normal. Yeah. But, you know, after traumatic events happen, when the war happens, there's no returning back. There's no normal. Yeah. <laughs> there is yeah. a reconstruction period. There's... Yeah. <laughs> and that's yeah. what I'm inviting all leaders to think about, the reconstruction yeah. period. Yeah. How yeah. we are not going to go to normal or some version of normal. Yeah. But how are we going to rebuild, keep what works and and discard what didn't yeah. and it, invent what's needed? I think it's an opportunity to, to do better. Keep what works, discard what didn't and invent what's needed. You're full of beautiful insights. Olga, I love that. One final question, advice that you'd be giving to your 25-year-old self. You know... I worried so much. <laughs> you, you worried so much. Is that what you said? Was, you worried? Yeah. I did. Yeah. I um, high school was 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 hard. Uh, you know, it was partially because we immigrated, partially because I didn't speak English. I, I can't say that I fit in very well either, and I was really worried. Um, especially, you know, you know, I. I people would ask me what I want to be when I grow up, and you know, I like giving answers that illicit reaction so you know i didn't speak english so i would say i'll become a lawyer (laughs) and nobody wanted to tell the 12 year old that hey you don't speak english but they were like Uh, you are (laughs) yeah but you know be careful what you tell everybody you're going to become that (laughs) and so you know i i initially started with you know me seeking reaction and then that choice grew on me. And then I found myself, oh, man, how am I going to get there? And I was really worried. Yep. But 
um, you know, some, you know, people tend to say that in a sh we tend to overestimate what we can do in the short run, but underestimate, underestimate. what we do in the long run. And yep. I think there's a lot of truth in that. And I think that, you know, that, that, you know, if I had that perspective sooner, Yep. You know, going back to your question, I now sleep really well knowing that there is a long run. Yeah. And again, that's, I have to say, it's another <laughs> common theme. The old, no, nobody says, I'm glad I worried all that time in the past. <laughs> Typically, it, oh, I think I just worry, I, I wasted a lot of time <laughs> worrying about, worrying about whatever. Um, and, and it's the uncertainty, I think, of, you know, what's next, the future? What am I going to become? Am I going to be successful? Am I going to succeed? All of that, but I do love the description you've given that you do underestimate what, overestimate what you can do in the short term, but underestimate what you can do in the long term. And it's like, to me, it's like the magic of compound interest. Okay. Yeah, it, 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 it is. It become, it's, the, the, the magic of compounding experience and in life and different, and allowing yourself to be exposed to those different experiences and those learnings that stuff is magical because it compounds in an exponential way. And I think it brings home what you talk about, underestimating what you can do in the long term. So uh, I Yeah, that's absolutely. Great. And and same is true for the for your reputation, right? Yep. Everyone you meet along the way, you know, I think you know, I have a benefit of, you know, I grew up in San Francisco and lived in Silicon Valley since I was 12. So I ha I haven't really moved out of this area. I really love this place. And all the folks who touched me from high school to college, to law school, to Wilson Sun City, to Villa, to various startups, there's, you know, having them coming through my life back yep. and seeing me grow up and in this wonderful place full of technology and opportunity there is a lot of that reputation that has been historically important to yeah. attorneys and it, 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 it it's 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 a very important thing it stays with you for the rest of your life and it truly compounds just yeah, like it, it, it does <laughs> i i actually talk about think about every interaction you have with every person in your life as a footprint. Think about it as a footprint because it remains and every interact and it compounds and builds. And in fact, I, I had a walk with my 21 year old talking about careers and that just the other day. And I talked about that. I talked about every time you deal with anyone, whoever it is, I don't care whether it's a CEO, whether it's the person across the counter at the coffee shop, everything you do is an interaction, is a footprint and it compounds in itself. And it all builds up to ultimately your reputation and your really your place in the world and the way you are viewed and yeah, and you view others too. So um, Yeah, absolutely. I, it, it just, it's, it's, it's so, especially when you sort of staying in the similar geography, it's, yep. it just, it just the world is go. small. It's the, very the, the small. world is small anyway, but it certainly is. Olga Mack, thank you so much for joining me. I've had an absolute blast speaking to you. It's um, you, you've delivered me some superb insights, and uh, and the audience, I'm sure they're going to have a, a great time listening to this podcast. Jim, the pleasure was all mine. Thank you for your great question. Thank you for the community service of podcasts and bringing leaders to your audience. I know it's actually a lot of efforts to create this. Uh, so thank you so much for having me as a guest and serving the legal community uh, with with the insights from various legal leaders. Oh, thank you for saying so. You have a great night. Bye-bye. Me too. Thank you, listeners, for tuning into the show. For more, 
please subscribe to the show in your favourite podcast player. If you or someone you know would make a great guest on the show, please connect with me, Jim, the host of the show, via email, jim at pursuit, P-E-R-S-U-I-T dot com. We'd love to hear from you.